Hello and welcome to Cottonmouth Manchester, the podcast brought to you by CityGo, the city centre management company for Manchester. Well, it's episode five of our series on life after COVID. We're still keeping our fingers crossed that that's going to be the case. And today we're looking at leisure. What's changed during the COVID period? More people watching things at home, engaging with leisure and entertainment at home, fewer people out and about. How much is going to be carried forward? What changes are going to happen? And how have the economics changed over the period? We've got three experts from rather different areas of leisure and entertainment, but there are huge crossovers between what they're saying and what they're talking about. We're joined by Jason Wood, the Artistic Director for Film and Culture at Home, Chris Hart, who hosts The Grognard Files, podcast on tabletop role-playing, and Martin Bryant, speaker and writer on all things tech, and in this case, video gaming, and creator of the Big Re- BigRevolution.net. We hope you enjoy it. Thank you for joining us. Um, so when looking at this, really, um, I guess this is an echo of the whole working from home conversation and argument. This is this is really about being entertained at home. Um, I guess Martin's sphere, we're allowed to call it video gaming still, or is it digital gaming, or is it? Well, uh, video gaming is fine. Gaming, video gaming, yeah, video, yeah. Video gaming, yeah. Um, I guess that was always at home, so I think that's going to be an interesting one of, of how, the, how that has boomed or otherwise uh, during lockdown. Um, but Jason, to start with you, uh, for home, for cinema generally, for the sort of cinema you do, um, how's COVID affected what you've done? What have you been delivering? How have things changed? Well, there's been seismic changes in the industry. Um, and like most arts organisations, um, you've had to pivot to survive. So there's always been a digital element to what, what home has, has done. We've always had a digital channel. Um, but during, during the last year and a half, we worked a lot more closely with distributors to make films available to watch online for a revenue share scheme. So um, the forward-thinking progressive distributors collaborated with us to make a lot of films that we know our audience would have wanted to watch available to watch in their homes. Uh, And it's been successful in terms of access and staying in touch with our audiences. It's beginning to bring financial rewards uh, as, as a venue, as an independent venue home in a physical sense was always successful. We'd normally finish in the top one or two cinemas in the country in terms of films released, in terms of tickets sold or, or um, box office gross. But we've also found that during the lockdown, our digital offer has been taken up very well. When, and we're usually in the top one or two cinemas in the country as well for our digital offer. And I think it's fair to say that we, we, we've kept people connected with art and culture during the lockdown. Um, and the online environment is now going to exist much more in, in symbiosis with the physical environment and going forwards we will continue to make our films available for people that can't come to the venue for various issues Um, but we do very very strongly believe and I've been very vocal about this in various media outlets that the physical cultural space is very different to the online cultural space Um, you know one doesn't have to be privileged above the other but both have to be allowed to exist you know it's a very different thing to stream a film at home, maybe with a few friends, uh, you know, and a glass of wine. But, you know, even if you've got a big telly, the technical limitations uh, are, are there. You know, it's very different to coming into a venue, 250 seats in our big screen, um, 4K projection of 35 mil, 7.1 surround sound, and sitting down with 200 odd other people and communing with culture 
in, in a very direct and almost um this may sound like a step too far almost in quite a spiritual way i mean i think i think what people have realized during the lockdown is is culture is more than just about watching listening and looking at things it's a way of staying connected with humanity uh, and i think that's why the mental anguish on a lot of people has been quite severe is that there hasn't been that connection with culture and i think culture is so important it isn't just an art form and it isn't just an industry it is a way that people come together and understand more about the world and i know we're going to talk about diversity later on but you know some interesting things have happened as well during lockdown the amplification of the um me too movement the amplification of the black lives matter movement and the killing of, of george floyd and there's been a lot of discussion around the art, arts and culture needs to be more diverse and have greater access and that's something that's always been a major part of home's philosophy you know we've always wanted to interrogate who gets to make art who gets to choose what art is is put on screens and on walls and on theater stages and who then gets to come and engage and enjoy that art um so that's always been uppermost in in what we do but i think i i think that the lockdown period has has exacerbated this this notion to engage with having to have a broad spectrum to to reflect the diversity of our audiences so the home digital um initiative will continue but we can't wait to be back as a physical venue it's made very clear to us that that people miss us as a venue and i think that that the culture and physical venues as i said are really important for people's well-being do you think that in in your area which doesn't i guess rely as much on blockbusters as certain other cinemas it's easier to have that mix because uh, obviously there's a lot of fear over you know okay disney is going to release some stuff on disney plus at exactly the same time that it releases it in the cinema um and and that could have a major impact on your views and your audience and stuff presumably because of your market that's less of an issue yeah i mean i, I mentioned at the start there's been some seismic changes in the industry and and you've just put your, put your finger on it i mean the reality is is that most a high majority of films have been available day and date is what it's called when they're able to watch in a cinema or to stream at home for many years i used to work for curzon and i was involved in in bringing on board the curzon home cinema uh you know which is a streaming service but you're right i mean it's mainly been for independent films what what's really changed now is that warners and disney and fox all the major studios have, have announced that if not all the majority of their films will be available on streaming services now for independent venues like home and other other independent venues across the country that's never really been a problem um you know we we've always realized that our offer is very different to watching something at home and as i said we're not privileging one above the other personally i i think that you know if i want to see a film i want to see it on a big screen with the best sound but that's not to negate the value of streaming you know at, at all um but for the 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 multiplex operators they've always had a very hard and fast policy when it comes to streaming films they want what's called a theatrical window which is the period between a film being available for streaming and the film being available to watch in a cinema and for them i think this is more of a threat you know if the big studio films are now going to be available for streaming it completely changes their model and we've seen one or two of them i'm loath to mention names but we've seen one or two of them pivot and what i think is a very smart way um i will mention names odian you know they 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 played a number of films rocks they played um you know they they quickly realized that that without the studio product 
if they were going to remain open, and this was during the first lockdown, they were going to have to play films that were available for streaming. Some of the other organisations decided just to not open during this period, Cineworld, for example. So they didn't have the same um, judgment to make. When they do reopen, uh, and most multiplex operators, along with most um, independent operators, have, have affirmed that they will be reopening on May 17, which is the earliest time that the government has said that cinemas can reopen, um, you know, that they now have a question to face. Because if, if they're not going to play films that are already available for streaming, the question is, is what are they going to play? Because I don't think they're... I, personally, I, I, I think that... Within a year, everything will be available at the same time. I think some of the bigger multiplex operators have done a deal for a shortened window. I think it's 28 days. Uh, and, and, and I'm sure that that will be a policy that will hold for a while. But, but I do think that we will inevitably move to an environment where everything is available to everybody at the same time. I think it's just inevitable. Uh, uh, and, I, and I think that rather than putting your head in the sand, uh, and fighting it, I think you just need to accept it. You know, I, th I think that the, the streaming and the online environment can actually be a very good adjunct to the, to the physical cinema space. Um, and I think that if you work with it creatively, it enables you to be financially um, stable, but it also makes you um, creatively and culturally innovative and exciting. You know, you, you can just do things which which increases your offer. And I, and I do think that inevitably... The multiplex operators uh, will will find themselves having to come to a similar decision. I think if they don't, then I think that their long term sustainability is is, is genuinely in question. Cool. And there are only so many anniversaries where you can reshow a classic film in the cinema going around as well, which is the other thing. Um, Chris, I, I, I mean, Jason was talking there about the experience of being two hundred people in a cinema watching a film, the importance of that. Tabletop gaming, ideally, you're four, five, six, seven, eight people around a table. That's very core to what you're what you're doing. So what have you guys been doing? How has that been experienced over the past year where you just simply can't get together? Yeah, absolutely. Vaughan. That's the uh, basis of it, isn't it? Standing around a table, projecting your voice, uh, mingling in people's other people's houses. It's a vector of infection. Uh, so we've had to uh, think of <laughs> alternatives. Line for you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we've had to think of alternatives, and we've, uh, in the m most part, there's been a boom of online gaming, and what that is. So the type of gaming uh, I play is role-playing games, and so uh, people are probably aware of uh, Dungeons and Dragons, but there's a whole plethora of uh, associated uh, games which involve a games master. Uh, who conducts uh, the uh, session and a group of players who play uh, characters within that. So what uh, we've been doing is moving online using uh, video conferencing technology and also uh, a shared uh, platform, uh, a shared tabletop. So there's a number of applications that are browser-based that are out there, um, such as Roll20, uh, Foundry, Fantasy Grounds. And what they do, they give uh, players a shared space to roll dice on, uh, share maps, and to uh, yeah, just just to just to engage with each other and show visual uh, visual signs as though it was a tabletop that we're all sitting around. Uh, so it's in a, a, you know, I run an event in Manchester in uh, November every year called Grog Meet, where we bring people from all over the place to, to come together uh, to, to Manchester to play games. So we've been holding those type of events online. Um, so we've had like 
hundreds of people um, convening and playing games together uh, online. And you know, it's been it's been a, a huge growth, and it's changed things um, phenomenally. Uh, it has brought new people who have not been engaged with the hobby for decades you know this is a hobby that boomed originally in the 80s and they started coming back to it uh, during lockdown and rediscovering it uh, through the, this online play and um, so it, it, it has been good and um, what people have had to do is learn a new kind of etiquette so all the zoom interactions that we're used to day to day in our work environment they get amplified uh, when you're having to do it in a render gaming table so yeah it's been it's been an interesting dynamic and how much then has, has product been developed specifically to allow that to happen um and as, as that's changed presumably that's then allowed people from not just the same street but all around the globe to to meet as well so is that something that you'd like to see continue as well Absolutely, yeah. So, um, yeah, with my morning game, I have on a, on a Saturday morning, I have somebody who's in uh, Seattle, somebody who's in Holland, and somebody who's in Melbourne, and uh, somebody who's in Wigan. You know, across the globe, Wigan being the uh, weirdest of those places, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> all brought together uh, to, to game, and. Yeah, what we're seeing is some of the bigger tabletop companies are responding. So Wizards of the Coast, who produced Dungeons and Dragons, are producing uh, applications and assets that are usable online for online play. And similarly, a company like Chaosium produced Call of Cthulhu. They're doing a similar thing. But I think there's some way to go. I think the tabletop... Um, the tabletop technology is in its infancy. I think it's just seen a, a boom of uh, take up over the year. But, you know, it, the potential is uh, greater. You know, you could create, you know, a combined experience with a video game experience. So NPCs could be like avatars with animation and, and that kind of thing. That, that hasn't arrived yet, but you can see in time as people adopt it that that becomes... Um, you know, more, uh, more of the experience of uh, playing online. Martin, in terms of video gaming, people have been working together online for a very long time. So have things changed over the last year? Have there been new developments? Has there been a boom in even more people going on to World of Warcraft? Warcraft and that's, that dates me completely, doesn't it? But yeah, <laughs> uh, PUBG and so that. on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah, absolutely. So ga gaming has boomed. You know, you see all the stats you can imagine for uh, people playing games, uh, buying games, watching people play games online, all of that. Uh, the stats are up massively. I mean, just Twitch alone, which is a platform where people can watch other people play video games. Um, uh, that uh, is uh, viewing on there is up uh, nearly, it's nearly doubled in a year. Uh, so they, they saw 63 billion hours of uh, content watched in the first quarter of this I, year. I have to say, having, having tried to find something to watch on Sunday on Twitch and realised it was coffee hour, which seems to involve an awful lot of young ladies in bikinis sitting in hot tubs, basically <laughs> suggesting that you should go to their OnlyFans accounts. 
Which possibly wasn't yeah. what the original notion yeah. was, but everything online eventually becomes young ladies in bikinis, as far as I can. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of other stuff on Twitch as well, but but it's still primarily a gaming service. Um, and uh, so we've seen we've seen um, the popularity of gaming as a spectator sport, um, both as an actual spectator sport and just as a casual thing that people tune into to uh, kind of just hang out with. Um, their favourite uh, internet personalities who are playing games and chatting. Like you might tune into a radio DJ who you really enjoy, who doesn't actually say anything that interesting, uh, but uh, is um, uh, is enjoyable to listen to. Uh, uh, people tune into gaming in a similar way. But at the same time, we've seen um, uh, gaming consumption, actually playing games, uh, increase as well uh, massively. And that's, that's been uh, driven in part um, uh, by um, uh, one particular streaming, uh, one particular um, uh, subscription service, uh, which is uh, Microsoft's uh, Game Pass. Um, so people are buying games in general, but I think one thing we're seeing for the future from here is how subscriptions are really starting to kick in now. Um, and uh, from my own perspective, uh, for example, I pay £11 a month to Microsoft and I get access to this massive library of games, um, which is far more than I'd have traditionally. Traditionally, I'd buy a console and then I'd have to buy individual games at maybe 40, 50, 60, some of them are up to £70 now. Um, and so I think we're only going to see gaming consumption increase. Um, obviously, as we go back to our lives in uh, a, a post-pandemic world, fingers crossed, um, the time we spend on gaming might decrease a little, but um, uh, at the same time, uh, maybe more people's eyes have been opened to the to what can be uh what they can be done with gaming and what what role gaming as a, a form of entertainment can provide to them yeah i think that's an interesting one and i think it cuts across all, all the three areas as well is, is as more people come online there's a more diverse audience have you seen in in video gaming um a, a greater variety of independent games, more games being de developed by a, a diverser range of people. Diverser probably doesn't isn't a word, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it, 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 it's not so much necessarily those games being developed, more those games having an audience and having a chance. And uh, we're certainly seeing more um, in the um, realm of media that actually talks about games like this, uh, more opportunities for games like that through things like subscription services um, that give uh, an opportunity for people to play games that they probably wouldn't play otherwise. Um, I, I forget the name of it now, but it was a game I was playing recently that I got on Game Pass that I wouldn't have played anywhere else. The reason I played it um, was because um, it sounded, that sounds interesting. Now, if I'd had to pay it, pay a tenner for it, I probably wouldn't have bothered. But the fact it was a free as part of uh, something I'd already paid for, I downloaded it. And it was this game that had been created by a teenage girl from London um, and uh, kind of about mental health. And uh, it was a really interesting experience to play that game. It wasn't, you know, a big blockbuster and thing, but it was a really interesting experience to play that game and something I just wouldn't have had otherwise. So we're definitely seeing more of that. Um, over the years, traditionally gaming has been the preserve of a particular vocal, a particularly vocal small C conservative group of very passionate gamers who think that anything that um, uh, anyone wants to do that isn't, you know, big men with guns shooting each other um, uh, is, is not part of gaming and shouldn't be allowed. And uh, it's just, you know, uh, kind of um, uh, liberal lefty stuff that shouldn't be allowed. But uh, I, I think... 
we're seeing more diversity being able to cut through that noise uh, now, which is good. Um, and th- those gamers have their place. They can still shoot their guns, but there's space for other people as well. And space seems to be being made in the media more um, and uh, on gaming stores for them as well. Yeah, it's been really interesting with my eldest, who's 12, going onto Steam a couple of, probably about a month ago, mm. seeing the variety of things that she's playing. Though she has a di- a- an addiction to... Uh, games involving murdering Japanese schoolgirls. There's also an awful <laughs> lot, which is a very strange uh, audience. But um, she she is playing an awful lot of games that I can't imagine that 10, 15 years ago would have existed. Well, um, I'll, Created I'll, by all sorts of diver- diverse audiences and diverse creators. One big success over the last year has been Animal Crossing for the Nintendo Switch, which is a game where nothing much really happens. You kind of have your own little house and your own little garden and a little community you can build up uh, uh, around what you're doing and you can go and visit other people's houses and things like that um and it's all very kind of zen and um a very a very simple game where you're just doing very repetitive tasks to help build up um your little homestead if you like and it, it, in the pandemic that people have found that very comforting but it's not a game that most people would consider you know being a traditional video game and um, so we're seeing games really take a different role in people's lives it's not just about um oh you know um, can i beat my high score or whatever it, it, it can be as much about uh, how can i relax and just have a, an almost meditative experience of even if it's just doing the same thing every day chris i mean you talked about an uh, sort of explosion or huge increase in, in people playing tabletop games um, i mean have you seen at the other end the same what martin was talking about um a greater variety of things being created from a, a wider variety of, of creators and audiences and more diversity coming along i think the um it going building on what uh, martin's saying the success of critical role which is a uh, a streamed uh, Dungeons and Dragons game. Uh, if you had asked me 35 years ago, uh, can, in the future, people will be watching games of Dungeons and Dragons in their millions. Uh, I would not have believe, believed you, but yeah, that is a phenomenon that has uh, exploded and, and along with uh, Stranger Things um, has brought a whole new audience uh, to uh, role-playing games and um, a diverse audience. So, you know, back in the 80s when, when I first started, you know, if, if you saw um, a woman in a convention, a gaming convention, it would be a, a rare thing. Now, you know, it, people participate in it, uh, you know, uh, across uh, all genders and, uh, rep- you know, strong representation from all kinds of people. And they're contributing and producing uh, new things because the other phenomena is uh, distribution of games. So things uh, like... Um, drive-through RPG and making more games available and um, allowing for a great deal of creativity because it gives a platform for new diverse ideas to be distributed uh, to uh, new audiences. Jason, are we seeing a similar thing in, in terms of film? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd echo a lot. see it more than possibly the, the huge multiplexes would see. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd echo a lot of what Chris and Martin have said, I mean, because there haven't been the studio films being released, it's meant that the smaller independent films have been given more coverage in the media. Um, you know, we like to think about broadsheet media as being very um, liberal and um, audacious in their cultural type choices. They're quite often not, you know, it's quite often the biggest Hollywood film that is the film of the week. But we have seen a change, you know, we've seen smaller independent films getting much more column inches, getting written about more widely. 
and and I think it's led audiences to discover them. And, and again, with the absence of the, the the Hollywood films dominating the marketplace, even you know at the award ceremonies at the recent Oscars, we've seen films like Nomadland by Chloe Zhao, Triumph, you know, first only the second woman to win Best Director, first woman of colour to win Best Director, Minari, a film from Korea, a most promising young woman. You know, we, we've seen films that ordinarily might not get that level of attention flourish. And I, and I think audiences have discovered, um, you know, even audiences with mainstream tastes, and there's nothing wrong with, and I mean, I know I work at home, but I, I'm not remotely elitist. There's nothing wrong with mainstream cinema. There's nothing wrong with multiplexes. There's nothing wrong with Hollywood. But I think as with anything, what you need, you need is a, a diet and a balance. And, and I think that we've moved towards a position where people are realising in great numbers that a diet and a balance is healthy. And, and it's great to want to watch Kong v Godzilla on a big screen, but it's also exciting to think that, that people now will want to go and see Nomadland when cinemas reopen. You know, cinema can, you know, all culture and entertainment can be about entertainment, but sometimes it can also be about something something deeper. But yeah, I, I very much agree with Chris and Martin. I, I think there, there is this sense that, 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 that there is a, a wider variety out there. And one of the things that, that I really hope, I mean, this pandemic has, has been brutal, you know, for a variety of reasons, but I, I was optimistic that, 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 that there might be some learnings from it. You know, I, I hope that people would be kinder to each other. I hope that, that, that when people are making the choices about where they spend their money, they don't go to organisations like Weatherspoons that treat their staff badly and there are cinema companies that treat their staff in a similar way um and i was optimistic about that and i was also optimistic about the fact you know when when cinemas reopen maybe people are going to come back in larger numbers to multiplex cinemas to see films like nomadland and, and minari and i'm trying to hold on to that optimism but let's see because what what you see as soon as cinemas announce they're going to reopen hollywood um, studios kind of fire up again and they, they start announcing lots of big releases and you can already see the pattern of the smaller independent films beginning to scramble to to maintain the ground that they've managed to um, make up and achieve during a quieter period so uh, I'm afraid my optimism is probably very quickly going to revert to my usual cynicism uh, and I think we'll, we we may well go back to the way that we were. I ho I hope that we don't. You know, I think it would be brilliant if a big multiplex cinema, rather than having, you know, twenty screens of um, the Fast and the Furious Nine, maybe just had ten screens of the Fast and the Furious Nine and a screen for Nomadland, a screen for Minari, a screen for a Most Promising Woman, a screen for Le Putty. You know, just just because I think audiences will will, will go. I don't, I don't understand why they need to put the same film in every single screen at every single showtime. Um, so, so, so let's hope that we don't go back to that. You know, let, let's hope that people realise that there is a, a wider um, kind of cultural offer out there and that they embrace it. Because I, I think audiences have proved that if you give them the opportunity to discover things, they will quite often take it. All, all they need is that, is that opportunity. And, and again, you know, to echo what my colleagues have said, that, that's great for society. You know, if you go to a gaming convention and there's suddenly more women there, then that's better for society. It's more reflective of society. If you go to a, a, a cinema, no, no matter if it's an independent cinema or a multiplex cinema, and you have the opportunity to see a film about a 50-plus-year-old woman living on her own, discovering how to live off-grid, or a Korean family trying to make it in, in the kind of capitalist American dream, 
that that can only be good for, for a wider society. So so let's hope that some of the things that have been forced upon us, some of the more positive things that have been forced upon us, we 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 don't relinquish too quickly. Chris, you wanted to come in there. Yeah, I wanted to uh, just uh, build on that to say, you know, somewhere like home is more than just a place where people go to consume media as well. Um, before lockdown, one of the last things I did, I attended a, a gothic cinema course at, at home. And, you know, it was much more to me than just seeing Son of Frankenstein and uh, Black Sunday on a big screen. It was a social event. Oh, that's event. pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that, that was good. But it was a, a social event and I, I met new people and I was able to, um, the serendipity bumping into old friends in the bar, that kind of thing. And that that's the kind of thing that a digital space doesn't do very well That because we're dependent on social uh, media, which can be a f- fairly toxic space. What a uh, place at home uh, delivers and what, um, what we've got to... Uh, learn from our digi- in, in our digital space is to create those collaborative environments where people can feel safe uh, to bump into each other and to uh, communicate with each other. Because I think that's what's been missing. I think, um, you know, f- certainly from my point of view, trying to get a community together, you're very dependent on um, things like Twitter and Facebook and those uh, privatized social spaces that uh, are trying to demand people's attention what you what we need to build in the digital space is um a public platform where people can feel as comfortable as they do visiting home when when they're going to the cinema or having a meal or you know attending courses that's very gratifying to hear thank you yeah because i guess one of the things we talking about those different audiences within sort of ta- tabletop playing actually there's there's that group of that older players particularly here and if you look at twitch or you look at other things you see um young glamorous people from california who are all playing it and actually that cross there isn't huge crossover at the moment is there between those different audi- audiences um i think in in the year and a half i've been back in the game i think i played with one player of color in that time um, who had a broad Cockney accent and was, you know, was was as involved and as elderly as I am. So, um, but I guess creating that community is is that next step, isn't it, Chris? It's it's how do you start building out those bridges and and, and taking down some of those walls? Yeah, and, and learning what we've learned from building public spaces. And um, there's a lot of work being done by uh, New Public uh, Civic Signals um, in America, uh, looking at ways in which we can learn from how we've built park environments and uh, forums to 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 recreate that in um, the digital age for civic society. And I think that's that's really the next step. How do we create those environments where people can meet together and don't feel um, it can behave in a civil civil way rather than feeling like it needs to be a polarised debate or, you know, it has to be sectionalised. So uh, by generation, by, you know, uh, political opinion, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think we've still got a lot to learn in the digital environment. Martin, I mean, I, you know, online play in, in gaming has been around for a very, very long time. Again, look, looking at my daughters, my youngest, learned very harshly playing Adopt Me, how easy it was to get scammed. Um, mm. What sort of developments have there been 
within gameplay to, you know, beyond just the owner of whatever game it is saying these are the rules and you're going to get thrown out if you do it this one. Have there have there been developments in how people collaborate and how work together and 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 sort of um that that safe digital space? Uh, well, one, one thing that's been quite interesting to see in the last uh, couple of years has been the rise of Discord as a space where people can um, uh, communicate uh, about a game. It's mainly for gamers, but it's being used for all sorts of other online communities as well. Because, uh, yeah, um, uh, as has been said, you know, it, it, having like an online space that's uh, community focused and uh, it, it can be tailored around a community uh, is it, quite difficult. Uh, but Discord may actually point to something that is, has been useful for gamers but is useful for other communities as well. Um, and so on there, they've got an audio channel where you can you can chat about uh, the game you're playing, uh, but you can also share in, in, in text conversations, um, uh, your tips and things like that. And uh, that, that's been huge. And Sony has invested in Discord. Um, it's recently been announced and uh, it's going to be deeply integrated into the, the PlayStation ecosystem. Um, but I, still, I think it's still working with uh, other platforms as well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's been embraced as well by other communities. So I'm on there... Um, with um, uh, various tech-related uh, communities, and um, it, it's it's just a great place to uh, it's a, it's a it's a great space for um, the kind of communication that if you're in in somewhere like Twitter, you you have a civil conversation, but then someone will come in and take it in bad faith and screenshot what never you say. happens, Martin. Never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well, yeah. That's the thing. Like, if you think uh, if you think about um, uh, Twitter as like a, a public park, it's a public park where people are busy having. Uh, nice little conversations, but there's somebody vandalizing it and uh, shouting in your face and uh, and showing no shame in antisocial behavior. So why doesn't that happen on um, Discord? Um, you, well, because they're closed communities um, or rel relatively closed communities that can be tightly moderated. So you can have um, uh, different levels of moderation. Uh, if you if you set one up, you can, you can add moderators. You can have uh, different people with different privileges to help kind of pol self-police the community. Um, and uh, it's very flexible. I'd say it's so there's a little learning curve to using it. Um, if you go in there, you can feel kind of overwhelmed by the amount of information you're seeing, especially on some of the busier servers, as they're called. The different communities are called servers. Uh, and uh, so you do need to learn to kind of mute certain channels and things to help keep it keep yourself kind of nice and calm on there. But, uh, but, but I think that points towards uh, what we're probably going to see a lot more of, which is these kind of slightly more private uh, messaging related communities online where people share things rather than the public conversations where they just get turned to uh, the most awful toxic um, uh, thing possible um, far too quickly. And then I guess the question is how you find those closed communities. Well, yes, I think we're still at an early stage for that. And um, there's a lot more to be, uh, and part of it is people people discovering uh, platforms like um, Discord to do things like this. Um, uh, the other thing, that, the other place that people were trying to do these kinds of things through was Slack, which is far better known as a workplace collaboration tool. But uh, the thing is, Slack really doesn't want people to use it like that. So they don't really have features for that kind of thing. You, for example, blocking people. You can't block people in Slack because they expect you want to hear from all of your colleagues. Um, and, and, <laughs> 
awful. There there would be some problems if you had to if you had um, uh, employees blocking other employees. I would imagine um, just in terms of workplace communication. So um, so it's not really designed for that. So uh, but so yeah, I think if we see more people try things like Discord, um, uh, Facebook are trying to get into it more as well through um, uh, through uh, enhancing and uh, promoting the use of groups. But then people may have a a sense that that Facebook is, but even if they have a, a positive experience of Facebook personally, they may have a feel that Facebook is kind of the old thing and they want to try something new anyway. So, uh, so that's why I'm kind of bullish about discord at the moment. Okay. Um, let's, let's finish up, um, by sort of casting ourselves a couple of years into the future. Um, when we're all safely vaccinated and getting vaccinated every year and, and, you know, we're, we're, we're in the new normal. Um, what will video gaming, tabletop gaming? What will what will cinema and, and, and film look like? Um, how much will have been taken from the COVID experience and and continued with and expanded and how much junked? Um, Martin, start start with you. So I think in terms of. Um, uh this idea that um, we'll go back to being out, going out a lot and that kind of thing. I think we will. Absolutely. I think people want to go out and people want to have in-person experiences at places like cinemas, theatres, music venues, etc. But I think what might happen that might be quite interesting is our time at home, which has often been treated as like, oh, you're wasting your time sitting at home watching a game show on TV or something. Our time at home will actually be enhanced because we've learned just how many entertainment options we have at home and how many things we can do at home. So our quality of life at home when we're not going out uh, will uh, will be of, uh, have improved massively. So actually, we'll get a, a best of both worlds experience where we're we're back doing those things we love outside and meeting people. But when we are at home, it's not kind of like a second best kind of oh I can't believe I'm in tonight kind of thing. Uh, you you actually have lots more opportunities than you used to have at home. And Chris. Yeah, I think uh, Martin's right. I mean, when we're not having to uh, have Teams and Zoom conversations all day at work and we have a bit of a blended approach of going back to the office and uh, working from home, it will feel even better to be uh, sat looking at your computer screen as part of your uh, engagement with your friends and uh, playing games uh, online. So I do think that it will definitely be here to say because it gives you an option rather than consuming media by watching and binging on Netflix, you've got an opportunity to get five friends around from all over the world and uh, to be playing games with them. So yeah, I think it'll continue, definitely. Excellent. And Jason? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think all of those things, I think also cinemas have to, you know, I, I keep mentioning this and people are sick of it, but, you know, The, the Guardian, which annoys me no end, has constantly written about how cinema's going to not come back from this because everybody's watching films online. There was another article in The Guardian on the weekend about cinemas are finished, and um, I genuinely don't don't believe... I genuinely don't believe that they are. I mean, I think more power now is with, I don't like to use words like consumer, but audiences may be a, a better word. I think audiences now generally have the the, 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 the breadth of choice and they, they you know, they, they have far more choice in how they commune with, 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 with culture, whether that's film or theatre, you can live stream plays. And I think we have to treat the audiences with, with respect. You know, we have to realise that if, if they are going to come out to a venue, a physical venue, it needs to be a good experience for them but i do st- very strongly believe that that cinemas will will survive you know we, we th- there's been other threats you know apparently television was going to kill cinema then <laughs> vhs was going to kill cinema 
then it was Blu-rays were going to kill cinema. Now it's online that's going to kill cinema. I don't, I don't think there are. I think cinema is an art form which is quite um, democratic. You know, it's it's quite a working class pastime. <coughs> so I think cinemas need to be very careful about how they price. I don't think they should be pricing themselves so expensively that only the wealthy, privileged elite can, can afford to go. And I think cinemas also need to treat people that come to them with integrity integrity and respect because we have to realize that they have a choice and it's quite conceivable in another year or two years <coughs> that the film that they're watching in your cinema they could just as easily be watching at home and i think we have to realize that <coughs> excuse me i think the advantage we've got is you know as, as was said when you go to a physical venue it, it it might be to have a drink or have a meal or watch a play or look at some art on a wall or watch a film but I do think it's more than that. It, it is about coming together and having conversations and understanding people's different viewpoints. And, and, I, and, I, and I do think that that kind of communal sense of coming together is something you can replicate it, but I don't think you can replace it. And do you think there's going to be, I mean, I guess this is for Martin, you, you talked about... Um, more live events where people are watching games and obviously we've seen the huge coverage of esports over the last couple of years. Um, do you think there's, there's sort of going to be a merging of cinema and gaming in terms of more people coming out from the home to go in and sit somewhere and watch other people game and then film at home as well? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the, there's been talk of um, big esports events, you know, esports arenas and things opening up um, around around the world. Um, this, this has been a big thing in places like South Korea for a long time. So I think we'll see a lot more of that. Absolutely. There's been a lot of investment into that um, in, in recent years, and it was just kind of getting going as the pandemic hit, I think, um, in, in many ways. So uh, I think we'll see that coming back. Absolutely. And Chris, can you, can you see a point where... Um hundreds of sat in a cinema watching uh, a, a tabletop game be played out. Um, I couldn't see it 30 years ago and I can't see it today, but, you know, <laughs> I've been proved wrong before. You never know with some of the audiences that are on YouTube and on Twitch and various exactly, other places. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Thank you all very much, gentlemen. Uh, it's been a pleasure discussing the future of leisure with you.